welcome to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, your number one spot for classic movie rewatches and breakdowns. My name is Jack Oremus, and I'm here with my sister, Emma Oremus. We decided that we wanted to make a show that reflected our love and appreciation for classic movies. And while you're here, hopefully we can share that together as an Old Soul family. We're going to be diving into these movies scene by scene and giving our modern reactions to the films that have influenced generations of people. There will be fun facts, hot takes, tears, laughter, and everything in between. And with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to a very special episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast. This is one that I've been waiting to do since the very start, very appropriately timed for Shark Week and all of the fun and craziness that is about to go down the rest of summer. Oh my goodness, we are finally doing Jaws. Emma, how are you today? I'm excited to cover Jaws. This is a summer staple. I don't think your summer is complete without a Jaws viewing by Labor Day, let's say. Oh, absolutely. And for all of you, uh, I guess, loyal listeners, you will know that this is my number one. This is my favorite movie of all time. I used to watch this like a crazy person just over and over when I was younger. I, like, I, I was probably way too young <laughs> to be witnessing a few of the scenes, but it never fazed me. I think that it really uh, became a part of me, honestly, as I grew up. So this is a very special, special film, and I can't wait to talk about it. Emma, what are your initial thoughts and just feelings about Jaws. Where do I even begin? This is an iconic movie. This really put Spielberg on the map. This really um, brought John Williams to the forefront in the industry too, um, in terms of scores. So it's really a, a big one. It's It's an awesome movie. And it's known as the first summer blockbuster ever, really. Yeah, I mean, it changed so much about the Hollywood landscape. I think that it is just so important for multiple reasons, not just because it put Spielberg on the map, not just because it helped launch like John Williams' career, but it also changed the way that the 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 movie business honestly operated. And it hasn't been the same since. And this is just completely changed that's, the game. That's really kind of what's most notable about this. Yeah, like... Over 67 million people in the States went to see this film when it was initially released, which is crazy. So before 1975, most of the films released during summer were either independent pictures or pictures that the studios weren't banking on doing very well. So they'd release them during summer. However, production timeline stuff forced Jaws to be released June 20th, 1975, instead of around Christmas time, which is actually more appropriate, to be honest, or actually kind of helps when you're releasing something during the landscape of which it's set. Um, and yeah, the summer blockbuster was born. So a couple things about blockbusters. I mean, we have them today, right? So they're typically, or a lot of times, they're high concept films. High concept films are basically stories that you can sell in an elevator pitch, like a very short synopsis. An example would be Back to the Future. Um, 1980s teen goes back in time 
is stuck in the 50s, has to get back, and has to make sure his parents end up together to ensure his existence. Boom. Like, you want to see that. This one. Psychotic shark terrorizes islanders. That's enough to sell you. Um, So that's one notable thing about blockbusters. Another big notable thing is that they're usually pre-sold, right? So they're it's a guarantee that people are going to want to go see it. So this movie is based off of Peter Benchley's book. And the book was actually sold. The rights to the book were sold before it was even published. And then it was a bestseller. So then you're guaranteed that people will want to go see the movie version of this. Same with, you know, it's an accessible example, but the movie's based off comic books. There's already an audience that wants to see the adaptation, so you're going to have people coming in no matter what. Exactly. So I think that it was uh, a very, I guess, interesting situation. Not only was Steven Spielberg, you know, like 26 years old when he was uh, directing this, which is a just noob, crazy. A baby. But, I mean, we have this this film adaptation. We have just so much going on, very like novel techniques being used in the uh, the production of it and just a lot of moving parts for a very, very simple but approachable story. I think a lot of people can identify with the characters in the film. It's not too outlandish. It's very, very real, I think. Well, <laughs> I'll put air quotes around the word real because <laughs> it actually had some very negative, uh, I guess, reality some consequences that came from it terrible but, environmental uh, impact yeah but you can you can imagine yourself in their positions in the characters shoes which is scary it's, and i think made it even more frightening it is so funny that you say that because as i was watching this and this was the first time i had this experience but when i was and i've seen this movie a thousand times but as i was watching this i was like oh my gosh i am chief brody I feel like I identify with him so much. So I don't know. And that's kind of what I love about this too. It is a horror film or in that genre, but it focuses a lot on characterization. So it just makes it an all around winner. I just, I love it to pieces. It was the highest grossing film of all time until Star Wars, which came out two years later. And that's actually what's kind of, to me, what makes Star Wars interesting because it was not pre-sold. Um, it didn't have any material basis to draw people in the theater. It was just kind of its own thing. So I don't know. It's really cool to see the 70s and this shift in popularity with movies coming out in the summer. Definitely. And yeah, this came out in 1975. To This year, 2020, is actually the 45th anniversary Aww. of Jaws. So happy happy 45th, you know, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty cool there. That's wild. But, um, but yeah. It is very wild. And, uh, and Steven Spielberg, when he was, I guess, looking for the the roles, the cast for Jaws, he, he wanted to make sure that there weren't any standout stars that would, I guess, take the attention away from the story. So uh, a few of the actors that are involved, the main ones are uh, Roy Scheider as Chief Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, the captain, and Richard Dreyfuss as Hooper. And we can't leave out Murray Hamilton, who has made, I think, an appearance in like the last four <laughs> podcasts for us. But he plays Mayor Vaughn, as well as Lorraine Gary as uh, Ellen Brody, Chief Brody's wife. So This is a perfectly cast film to me. There is not one person where I'm like, 
oh, I kind of wish it was this actor, actress. I honestly, I, I draw a blank. I think that it's perfectly well done. Everyone fits their role so well. I love that it was more unknowns slash you have your kind of veteran with Robert Shaw. Um, it's always good to have a veteran on a team of unknowns. But yeah, it's yeah, just perfect. I don't know how else to describe it. This is honestly, for me, when I was watching it again, this is a near perfect movie. No movie's perfect. Yeah. But the three acts of the beginning, the middle, the end, the building tension, the suspense, the scares for a horror film, this is a perfect formula, basically. Yeah. I mean, three, three is a magic number. You know, you do have the three acts of the movie. You have really just the three main characters that the entire story revolves around. But you also just have this ominous ticking time bomb underneath the table if we're going to put it in some sort of like Hitchcockian terms, which we'll get into, mm-hmm. but that is just not seen, but is ever present. And that is Bruce, the shark. I think every, every drama, every thriller, every horror movie is really only as good as the antagonist. And what is scarier than just an eating machine, <laughs> like a, a 25 foot eating machine from that the has ocean. the capacity and, to hold a grudge. Yeah, somehow. Um, and it is just so effective in the way that it all plays out that it's hard to almost describe. But Emma, yeah, what what do you feel, what do you think about the shark, how it was shown and how Spielberg used, I think, the limitations of production, which was, this was a notoriously uh, difficult project and had so many issues when it was being produced that you know there were there were constant issues that Spielberg and his team was facing but they worked around it and I think they arguably made it even better. Oh, absolutely. I was even saying when I was watching this, this is actually why I I do prefer watching some movies from the 70s or 80s with limited technology where they're using puppetry and mechanics and whatnot because for me cgi doesn't feel realistic but when i see an actual physical object for me that feels more authentic which is why i do prefer and sometimes feel more scared by that type of uh technology use so yeah the practical effects and whatnot Um, no so Um, i i love it i think Every, again, one like wonderful decisions in terms of introducing us to the shark. We never see it for a while, and then we slowly, slowly get used to its presence via other objects. And then we finally get kind of a minimal face shot of it. We get the fin, um, and until we finally get that iconic jump scare at the end when his face is fully shown next to Brody's. So it's perfectly well done and we'll kind of talk through it as we do the rewatch of how they wove this identity of the shark into the movie but it's really awesome yeah yeah and i think we could talk a little bit about the impact that this had on the generations of people that saw it and i think the positive and negative outcomes that came from it like what the reaction was to sharks after this and how not only did it scare people from going to the beach, 
but it simultaneously inspired generations of people to actually find out more about sharks. Like that is what is so fascinating Definitely. to me to me about this is that it not only like instilled this insane fear, you know, that caused people to, you know, drive sharks to the brink of extinction in some ways, some species, but it also just inspired so many future marine biologists. They were like, I actually saw Jaws and that's what made me want to start learning about sharks. And that is just crazy to me. Like what other movie has some sort of like killer, (laughs) I guess, that makes you want to, I guess, just find out more, maybe like devote your life to it or, you know, it's pretty special to me that this film had that effect and I love sharks as a result of it I'm obsessed Definitely. with them I know you know a good amount and I've, I've loved shark week for a long it's, time it's like the most so, important it's a holiday week basically it's one yeah. of the best educational weeks ever sharks are fascinating mm. you know they're mysterious we we still don't know a lot about them we really don't I was actually kind of curious I was I got sucked into a rabbit hole of shark research as I was watching this. And I was like, well, how popular are great whites along the New England coast? And on a, like, if you look at a map of where great white sharks reside, no one knows. They literally just say everywhere because no one knows for sure. And that's what's mm-hmm. crazy. And you know what? They're so ancient. They've been around since dinosaur time, right? And they've survived all these years and all these world changes, they're really, you know, I, I, I feel scared of sharks, but it's more like in awe where I'm fascinated and respect them like crazy. Yeah. And that's sort of what I had to remind myself when I was watching this, even when all the attacks were going down, that it was just nature to the sharks <laughs> and that, you know, that I guess that's their home. And like, that's just part of uh, the generations and evolution of sharks even though it's not like accurate how like outrageous <laughs> this is like <laughs> the, the the attacks an happen unreal shark yeah this is an unreal shark however we will caveat that with saying that this was inspired by a real event a real event emma do you want to talk a little bit about wow. that Yes. So it is mentioned in the movie. If you listen to Hooper explaining it, I believe to the mayor, is that the scene? Um, It is recalled. But in 1916, the Jersey Beach shark attacks. What a crazy phenomenon incident in history. So in 1916, I believe there were five attacks. Mm -hmm. The the attacks actually were pretty much mimicked within the... uh the movie itself. So there was the individual who was, I guess, just sort of caught up in the, uh, I guess the surf, there was a dog, uh, and then a couple other people, I believe, but they were, it was known as the Jersey shore shark attacks. Oh, yeah, of the, the guy, the guy coming out to help the kids. He, there mm-hmm. was one of those guys in the 1916 attacks, but yeah, basically five attacks happened. I believe four of the five were fatal. And it was a real thing. And today we still don't really know what shark was behind this, how many sharks were behind this. Was there one? Was there two? Was it a bull shark? Was it a great white? It's really fascinating, but a real life frenzy of attacks during a very short concentrated time did happen. Yeah. And, uh, that's a whole other sort of topic (laughs) to get into, but, uh, there is a really good documentary that was published on 
during Shark Week called Blood in the Water. That was in 2009. I remember it was just so enthralling. That was a, it was a great watch. So if you're interested in hearing or learning a little bit more about the inspiration behind Jaws, what I believe uh, Peter Benchley like, took specifically was that exact sort of yeah. occurrence. So highly recommend that. But yeah, I mean, this is just such a thrilling movie in all sorts of ways. I think it really starts off from the very opening credits. Yeah, um, at that, let's get into the rewatch. Yeah. So the opening credits, this is actually one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me, as bizarre as that sounds. But it's a great way to start this film. So we see the kind of all-stars behind this production with the opening credits. We have that it's a Zanuck Brown film. Of course, Richard D. Zanuck is the son of the prolific producer Daryl F. Zanuck. And David Brown, who's another great producer. And the Zanuck Brown Company was part of a five-year production deal with Universal Pictures. So these two um, had worked with other studios, but then they branched off and created their own. It's very new Hollywood. The youngsters are ready to branch out and create their own new vision. And so they were kind of supervising Universal's projects, basically, being the producers for those films. And note that it's recognition not just for Steel for Spielberg, but for John Williams and his score. John Williams, this is one of the most iconic scores of all time. If you hear it, you know it's from Jaws. And that's, to me, what makes an incredible score. Um, John Williams, this is actually really interesting. He was conducting the orchestra during the 1976 Academy Awards. And so when he won the Oscar for best score, he had to run up to the podium from the pit to get his Oscar and then go back to conducting. Isn't that like, you must be the best person at your job. (laughs) If you are like, if everyone wants you and you want, like, could you imagine if this, if that was filmed today and they have like all the people's, faces on camera and you're like actively working like while they're right while they've got the camera on you that's crazy yeah so really cool it's an iconic score we also have recognition for verna fields who did the editing she is an incredible editor that doesn't get enough credit she did so many cuts for new hollywood films of the 70s including george lucas's so you already have like okay these people did a lot of work and we're giving them recognition. It's not just, just a Spielberg thing. And I love that we're getting kind of the, the killer cam from the shark's perspective. And exactly. what's really cool about this is, okay, we're, we're from the shark's perspective, right? So Jaws is swimming and the score is playing. So we can immediately identify that that score belongs with that shark. So anytime we hear that score for the rest of the movie, we know that the shark is near or present. So that's really cool. Just keep that in mind as you're watching it. And we open up with this iconic campfire scene with these teen, college-age, young people, and it's carefree, and it's so symbolic of the newness of new Hollywood. It's not like this stuffy old Hollywood. I mean, yeah, they're basically just on the beach without a care in the world production code is definitely gone we are definitely in the rating system now by the way um this got a pg rating actually which is really interesting they made some edits so it wouldn't get the r rating um pg-13 didn't exist yet and like look at chrissy being almost serious and lonery (laughs) it's all that 
What What are your thoughts when you see Chrissy and I forget the guy's name? Ah, uh, I, I mean, I don't think we ever. I mean, I'm sure he has a name, but it's never really like mentioned. It's not that important. But all we know is that, you know, there's just this this sort of beach campfire, late night teens, you know, smoking weed, whatever, just doing whatever teens do. And then, you know, Chrissy Watkins and uh, I guess the man that she's interested in <laughs> decide to go out for a little uh, little skinny dipping action. But our male friend is a little bit too drunk to get into the water. So Chrissy is the only one that makes it out there. But if I'm going to be real, even during the opening credits, even throughout this first scene, you hear those first notes from John Williams' mm-hmm. score, and you just want to get your feet off the ground. <laughs> like you want to, you want to go on a couch. You want to just like throw the blanket on top of you. You just, you know what's coming. And it is just, especially if it's the first time you're watching yeah. it, like ever, first time of the year, maybe for for some like us, you just you get so hyped and you are just strapping in the seatbelt because you know what's about to come. And we mentioned it a little bit last week when uh, we talked about the film scores, best uh, I guess songs, best whatever, best musical pieces from the years throughout the ages. The years, <laughs> but this is just so effective because. It's so simple and it mirrors exactly what the shark is. It is just a product of evolution. It is a killing machine within the context of this film. And all it knows, in the words of Hooper, is it eats and it makes little sharks. Like, <laughs> that's all it does. And so Chrissy, unfortunately, <laughs> um, you know, we, we get that great those great camera angles. Yeah. I think that's really what I was paying attention to. This time around when I was watching, I was just watching to see how Spielberg utilized movement and how, yeah, we don't really see the shark, but we are the shark for a lot of it, at least the the first half. And so, yeah, we we see Chrissy. It's so dark, too. Like that that was the other thing that really stood out to me is that the darkness was just utilized just so brilliantly. And, yeah, I don't know how to Chrissy yeah, is. I don't know how to put this, but it's a great first victim, like first attack, I guess. It is. Um, or yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole shark attack on Chrissy is terrorizing. It's an emotional roller coaster. Um, notice throughout the film when they're in water, it's typically shot at um, the level of the water. So it feels like you're swimming or like you're in the water as well, which is an amazing effect. So cool. Mm-hmm. Actually, a ton of this film, um, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but a lot of it is handheld. It was shot with a handheld camera, which mimics the swaying or uneasiness of being in the water. So, again, such a great choice. And, yeah, again, this this whole scene, I mean, you think she might be safe at a point. She, clung, she clings on to a buoy. But then she gets back in again. Um, I think they had a rig pulling the actress side to side. How they, they how did. they did her screams was so cool. I think they poured water down her throat uh, while she was trying to scream. And they recorded that and used that as the scream, which is really cool. It sounds so realistic. <laughs> then she's then she is gone. And we see no more of Chrissy. And we're, I'm sucked in at this point. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a there's a story that may or may not be true that the actual rig that was sort of pulling Chrissy back and forth was actually breaking her ribs. And so that was what was like causing 
real, like very authentic screams. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are reports that it was true. There are reports that it was false from her, from radio interviews. We don't know, but that is out there. So keep that in mind when you're watching. Like it could, it could be pretty accurate. She could actually be in quite some pain. But uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely it pulls you in just right off the bat and innocence is lost you know like we are we are in the game and the shark is uh is playing now so the next day her remains are found oh, on shore also like a little or, yeah, a little note yeah. with the next day too um so we meet Brody and his family. Fun little note, those Cocker Spaniels are actually Steven Spielberg's and we learn yes. that they're out of towners or they're non-islanders. They are from New York, I believe. So that gives us a little characterization to Brody. They're not fully accepted in this community or they have a little bit of a different perspective. Also, I love the, it's such a great horror thriller move um, when the son comes in with a cut on his hand. It's such a, I love when directors or the writers do that, when they have like a very harmless blood or related incident, related and it's harmless, but it's related to terror, death, or violence in such a minimal way. Kind of like when the bird dies in Poltergeist or when they're in the bird shop and the birds. Like when you have a tiny little foreshadowing thing, um, like a cut on a hand for the amount of blood spilt for the rest of the movie. I don't know. I always think that's such a cool little move to be like, this is what to watch out for for the whole rest of the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but right. like you said, we find Chrissy's remains on the beach. It, it it really pulls you in, I think, right off the bat. I mean, not only is Brody just, I think, pretty relaxed, we also find out that he is very afraid of the water. He's not he's not meant to be, I think, surrounded by water at all. <laughs> and now he is having to deal with this force of nature that comes from the water. And yeah, what what does he do with one of the biggest seasons weekends for the uh for the island amity mm -hmm. amity coming up the fourth of july when you have this mayor who wants to keep the island open kind of paralleling um okay. events going on right now in the world watching <laughs> watching this film with the lens of covid it is so bizarre it hits unbelievably close to home watching this you're like Obviously, they should close the beaches and keep things closed and distance themselves for the sake of the rest of the year or whatever. And then, like, you have a lot of people who will agree with that for the movie, but then you take real life and it's like, oh, wow. It was so funny. I was at when I was doing some research and notes on this, I pulled up some article and they were saying how unrealistic it was that a mayor, a person representing the people, would put the economy ahead of the people's lives. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's unrealistic. So it's it's really bizarre watching this, actually. Um, a couple of fun things I love from the kind of the opening scenes. What's so funny is I feel like such a darn fool because I literally just learned this while researching this film. I always thought that that was a fake hand. And I was like, wow, that, that arm yeah. looks so fake. It's actually a female crew member that they buried in the sand and had her arm exposed so it would look more realistic, which is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. I definitely thought it was fake, so I feel quite silly. And you can tell it's Chrissy and not some random woman because the rings are the same. If you look at 
her when she's in the like campfire scene, the rings are the same on her finger, which is a little like creepy. Um, I also love like when Brody's writing up the um, death report when the medical examiner calls. <laughs> I don't know why it bothers me so much, but instead of coroner's office, it says coroner's office. So it's so funny. Is it a goof or was he just under such emotional duress that he made that mistake? And I love the Martha's Vineyard setting. It is the perfect landscape for this film. It's beautiful. A lot of people think this is Cape Cod or it's near Cape Cod, but it's Martha's Vineyard. It actually is Martha's Vineyard. And Mm -hmm. Mayor Larry Vaughn, love him or hate him, most if not all hate him. You have to admit, he is a style icon. He brings... 100%. 100%. nautical menswear to a whole other level. And I'm living for it. That anchor suit, his striped suit later on, I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really stands out. Like his uh, his costume, his costumes throughout the, the film are just awesome. And he's not even in that, that many scenes, but <laughs> like it really just, it brings, I guess, just his priorities maybe to the forefront, like, or just really like what he's trying to portray. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm just a summer, like, beach-loving guy. And, yeah, I mean, he's just such an effective character, even a little bit later on when they're discussing whether or not, like, oh, we're going to shut it down. He's like, just 24 hours. <laughs> he, I think Murray Hamilton does a really, really nice job supporting, like, the first act of the of the film. So, yeah, excellent, excellent he's job. He's a great, like, but, land um, antagonist. Yeah, no, he is. No, he really is. And that just kind of goes to show what, like, Brody is sort of up against at least in the first half, or yeah, like the first acts of uh, of the film, not only is he up against the shark, but he is trying to, you know, rally the funds to obtain Quint, and he is trying to, <laughs> I guess, really just be like a one man show when the mayor and the rest of the forces are really working against him to not just say that there's a shark, but to say that it's a boating accident, you know, like the famous line. You yell Barracuda, everyone's like, Yeah, what? You yell shark. We gotta panic our hands on the fourth of July. <laughs> oh, love it. No, it, but, I, yeah. I like you said it's so it like it's so strange watching this because they all have the common enemy of the shark, right? But then they're balancing the livelihood and economy aspect. And wow, it's just really fascinating how divisive uh such a power struggle it can be, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, Brody, I guess, accepts what the mayor is giving him right now. He says, okay, like I'll switch it to a boating accident, even though he goes, this isn't a boating accident. Um, (laughs) And uh, lo and behold, the second victim that we get is young Alex Kittner, uh, who unfortunately is attacked within the, uh, the view of quite a few people on a very crowded beach. Um, And, Lo and behold, a bounty is then placed on the shark, which prompts sort of an amateur shark hunting frenzy throughout. uh, So this is, okay, again, I don't like that any of these characters were victims, but just for the sake of the story, this is a great second victim because you see that this shark, this isn't just a nighttime during seedy situations thing. This thing could attack in broad daylight, and that brings a whole other mentality as an audience, if you're an actual Islander on this island, 
So that's what's nuts. Oh, and again, kind of in this beach scene, we feel like for a third time we hear about this Islander versus outsider mentality. I think Alan's talking to friends like, when do I become an Islander? And they're like, never, because you weren't born here. You and, born and here. You got it. Yeah. And you have, but that's important information to me because this is yet again emphasizing that the Islanders do not like taking information from non-natives. And um, mm. which is, again, very kind of, reflective on our current situation of like disregarding other people's perspectives because they're not from the same origin as you. So really kind of crazy. And I couldn't even imagine being Brody being so tense on the beach. I can't even imagine. But also when Alex Kittner is being eaten, uh, or okay, that was really blunt. But when Alex Kittner is attacked, um, again, we get the shark perspective from underneath with the theme song, once again, emphasizing that, yes, that is in fact the shark. It is not a sea turtle attacking him or something. I don't even know. And yeah, and the town meeting, the town, the people are not taking it seriously at all. They're cracking jokes. They're way more upset about the beaches closing and hurting their economy versus <laughs> versus the actual public safety of their people. <laughs> <laughs> when I was rewatching it, um, you can hear someone yell out in the background when Brody says, you know, the beaches are going to be shut down for, you know, 24 hours or whatever. Someone yells in the background, 24 hours is like three weeks or something. <laughs> I was just like, oh my it's God. Amazing. Okay. I do have a question yeah. for you because you live yeah. near a beach and I, I don't think there've been any shark attacks by you or maybe there have, but to your just layperson knowledge if there was a fatal shark attack or even a non-fatal shark attack by the beach do you know like would they close it down for 24 hours would they would because to me i feel like they wouldn't i mean they'd close it down but not for very long like what is your knowledge on that my guess is that they would probably not shut down the beach but they would put yeah, up signs. I know, definitely. they would definitely they would they would put yeah they would put up signs like i've seen signs just throughout other beaches just saying like there are sharks here and usually you will get like like it'll be in the local news like we i've there have been a lot of shark sightings great whites even they migrate down through uh the south bay down to uh to mexico so they're seen like quite frequently out here but yeah if there was an attack maybe but it really i think it does come down to the discretion of the uh the town legislation and what they want to do with it so yeah i mean interesting situation i think this one especially like was really really uh powerful because it was in front of so many people and Mm -hmm. you know like little boy mixed with i think just like the circumstances was what made it um i think really come to the forefront but yeah i mean also want to quick shout out to the actual moment when young Alex is being attacked again. And then we see that amazing shot on Brody. Yeah. The, uh, the vertigo shot yes. of the, the zoom in while I guess tracking backwards. The surreal reality sort of, thing. It's like, Oh my God, it's happening after, you know, like you see two people kind of before that kind of messing around. Kinder's actually like the third victim. If we're going to count the dog, oh, which is yeah. equally, equally sad well i'm glad they did that off camera because (laughs) to me that's where the line is drawn humans yeah go for (laughs) it um a dog no i I actually i think i heard a rumor that titanic had 
like shots of dogs struggling and um and they were like that's too far that's too far people can't we can't shiver and plunge to their death but an animal are you insane yeah oh my god i would i would turn it off (laughs) but yeah so i mean that i mean that in itself is what makes us i mean really really hate the shark even more you know it's not just attacking people it's attacking you know innocent pippin pippet (laughs) whatever his name is but um yeah i mean just such a such a cute dog and so we find out that this this shark frenzy is going on now a lot of people are hungry and we get our first introduction to shark hunter quint uh robert shaw he offers his services for ten thousand dollars and oh my goodness what an introduction this is one of the best ever i feel like it's been parodied in so many things as well and um yeah robert shaw to me is the only actor in my mind who could have played this role uh you know what's so interesting is he is so hit he's british but to me his new england slash massachusetts accent is near perfect i never would have guessed that he's not American. And quite frankly, I'm a little offended that he is not an American. Um, it's, he nails it. This is, it's just the right amount. It's not too much. Cause sometimes I feel like I hear some of the actors like really emphasizing their yad, like that kind of, that a sounds what Brody yeah. even like parodies in the movie exactly <laughs> uh, but Robert Shaw nails the American accent. I'm always in admiration of people that can, um, take a specific because there are so many accents within America and I always admire when someone can nail the region they're portraying and yeah it's really amazing the nails on the chalkboard I mean you can already tell this guy is gruff and serious and old school and street smart yeah no he has definitely seen some ish and what that ish is later we find out and it all sort of makes sense why he has this personal vendetta against sharks and trying to kill pretty much every single one of them. So yeah, I mean, Quinch just sort of pops up and then he just dips. And I love the mayor's reaction. Like, thank you, Mr. Quinch. <laughs> and, uh, and it sort of just goes on. But yeah, we also meet the, uh, I guess the third man in our little posse, Mr. Matt Hooper, who uh, is a oceanographer, I guess. He's a, a wealthy young college man, maybe recent college graduate, but he is working on examining Chrissy's remains to really find out what the death was caused by and if it was caused by a shark how big this shark is time time out there we have got to acknowledge our dear friend charlie on the dock oh (laughs) mr charlie mr charlie this is um a near victim not a victim but this is just another perfect horror addition this um so we have these two fishermen they're islanders they're natives and It's dark. There's lower visibility as the wow. audience. It's one of the it, best it, scenes. It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, actually, in this movie. And they're trying to catch the shark with the holiday roast. And we get the theme music. We know the shark is actually there because we've already established that that song is connected with him. The dock breaks off because of the shark trying to get this meat. And Charlie falls in the water. When that dock broken dock piece slowly turns around and the tempo raises in the theme my god it is one of the best pieces of suspense 
in the entire film, if not any film. Yeah. And I yeah. love to this point, you still can't see the shark, but you know, the presence is there based off of other objects. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, brilliant. And you, and you use your imagination, which is very Hitchcockian, a great cue to that director and a great nod to that director. So I love that we were think we're like, it's just terrifying. It's really like imagining what's under there, but knowing what it's capable of is the ultimate fear inducing choice. (laughs) Again, I mean, all the production difficulties that came from uh, the shark not working in actual salt water, I think really made Spielberg decide to do like the, the best possible alternatives honestly better than probably what he was thinking of in the first place. And just the, yeah, like you said, when the doc turns around, it is just, it's <laughs> and it is up until the last moment when he finally just, yeah, you know, he finally just gets like, up. Swim, Charlie, swim. <laughs> like he's trying. Yeah, it, you're, you're like, Oh my God, this guy is just, he's yeah. a goner. But, um, yeah, just one, one of the best scenes, honestly, it's just so, so effective. Like, Love it. No one's Love safe. It. That's Did, just it. Like yeah. this guy could have been victim number three slash four. That is truly one of the best best scenes in the movie. Uh, again, darkness. So so much scary stuff happens <laughs> in the dark. It's great. But yeah. So after this, uh, I guess this this bounty has been called on to to capture the shark. We have a bunch of people going out. Just clowns essentially. <laughs> we uh, again we see Matt well, Hooper. But again, then, and notice yeah. this. The boats filled to capacity. There can't be that many people in one area at that time. And the, you know, Brody's just trying to protect them. And they're like, nah, like, like, forget you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like these people are trying to keep you safe, people. And just, just again, Mm -hmm. it's just mocking or mimicking more things that I see today. Yeah. No one is pretty much taking it seriously. And they even catch a tiger shark, which again, like tiger sharks in the uh, upper Atlantic not very common. They're they're more of a Pacific animal. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean the 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 rest of the town thinks that this was the shark. The mayor proclaims that the beaches are safe. But then Mrs. Kittner, Alex's mother, comes onto the dock. She's dressed in black. She's grieving, and then she comes up to Brody. She slaps him, and this is sort of I think where we get a little bit more, I guess, in depth characterization for Brody, his family, mm-hmm. and just really the situation. This is what makes it, I think go deeper as like a human movie and what we really get to like empathize with Brody. It's like we get to see his family life play out when he goes back home and he's like going through the shark books and he's interacting with uh, his wife oh, and the his kid, son. The scene with his son and doing them like uh, mirroring the each other. Peek- yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. The little so game. Innocent. Like it just shows that kids are so innocent and everything. And, this guy's got so many problems. And the the slap for Mrs. Kittner, I love that because Brody is so excited. He is ready to be all, okay, yeah, it's all better. But the humanity that, like, that this is actually affecting the loved ones of these victims, it brings him back to do what's right. And that's what I love. I love mm-hmm. that we can all relate to that, or many of us, not all. <laughs> can relate to that and yeah no i every every scene with brody back home under this immense pressure is crazy he obviously is starting to turn to the bottle quite a bit um hooper mm-hmm. comes over so this is actually one really interesting difference between the book and the novel 
In the book, Hooper has an affair with Ellen, the wife. They chose to omit that for the movie. I love that choice. Let's just make it streamlined. Yeah. Let's make these guys like on the same team. No crazy mm-hmm. other sub tensions. Yeah. The the mob was also a reason why the mayor was like <laughs> wanting to yeah. keep the uh, the beach open in the book. So it's it's good to just like omit that nonsense oh, yeah. and just focus on the this main story. This is a great line. adapted screenplay actually. Like cuz you really do focus on the main plot, which to me is the most I don't know, most interesting element interesting. of this of this yeah. story. So also little fact checks here. <laughs> Rogue shark theory it's kind of meh because I think Hooper says that this shark went off on its own and stuff. All sharks are non-social and swim alone and they don't go for humans because we don't do anything for them. We're too bony and we don't provide enough protein. So we're, we're just not part of their diets. Mm-hmm. But again, there's these weird cases yeah. like the Jersey shore case that I can't, I can't explain that. And nor can I explain this shark's reasoning. Also yeah. the tiger shark thing, it says it's a man eater Tiger sharks don't go out of their way to eat men. They have been documented as biting people. But just again, just trying to Mostly yeah, turtles. Stick, sticking up for the sharks <laughs> <Yeah>. here again. <laughs> yeah, they do eat quite the, uh, I guess, the random assortment of things. So they are also known as the garbage cans of the sea. But we, uh, we see, I guess, all the things that this tiger shark has eaten once Hooper and Brody finally go open it up. But we cannot find Alex Kittner. So we know that the shark... The real shark is still out there. So, uh, yeah, Hooper and Brody go out and go to try to see where Ben Gardner went because he was out with this fishing party, but he didn't come also, back. Also, I love and... Brody on the boat with his life jacket and Hooper's so nonchalant, like eating pretzels, <laughs> like this is no big deal. Yeah, Brody's scared. And um, and the music is terrific. Well, it's not the Jaws theme, yeah. but it's beautiful and mysterious. We get one of, I mean, this is a classic Spielberg moment, you know, the fog. Mm-hmm. Even in Jurassic Park, like uh, like last night, I was watching that, <laughs> and um, there's 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 moments where yeah, you just have a single, I guess, uh, floodlight kind of situation. Like yeah, like a yeah. floodlight, but it's it's going through. It's like piercing through just like this dense layer of fog, or just super effective like nighttime nighttime scene. And we get one of the scariest moments, a scene that still scares me, honestly, (laughs) to this day, where Hooper goes and finds the great white shark tooth embedded in Ben Gardner's boat and out pops the head of Ben Gardner. Oh, my God. This is the craziest jump scare in the whole movie. I feel like this is like, oh, too much. Not too much. It's 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 the the right amount. It's the worst one for sure. So scary. Yeah. No, it's uh it's it's quite the uh it's quite the scene. And um oh my gosh. Quick side note, segue, but um the Chicago Orchestra or Chicago Symphony was doing live music to Jaws. Like they had the the screen projected and everyone was in the theater and they were doing the the actual music. It was a really, really cool uh experience. But this scene I remember everybody just like yeah. screamed. It, it was so cool seeing that in in person because you always read about like what it was like to to watch Jaws like back in the day when you're with everyone mm-hmm. and it's like oh my god everyone was screaming together everyone was like you know standing up applauding at the end and seeing that scene I think with everybody else what it, it definitely like transported me back a, a few oh, decades totally. and I was just like this is, this is awesome but um yeah that scene 
basically confirmed that this was a great white, that the shark wasn't going to stop, and that it was still out there, and the beaches are still open. And for the July weekend, Emma? Terrifying. What happens? What happens? So we get this. Larry Vaughn, Mayor Vaughn, is not for this, even though they could still save August. We have to have mm-hmm. immediate gratification <laughs> to the 4th of July, which again, it's just like, wow, boom. Uh, yeah. Art imitates right? life. <laughs> so the 4th of July. And oop. you know what? It's hard because this is a compromise and it's really tough. Like I, I do admire, like I, I don't agree with the call of keeping the beach open, but you know, they do what they can. They got so many boats and extra help in the water um, and no one's going in at first, but then you have your political leader pushing this guy to get in the water. And then you get the herd mentality of, oh, one person's doing it. It's okay. Everyone then starts to think it's okay. And you know what that did? That put people's lives at risk. So again, I love the shots like from water level, a great, and it's very crowded. So there's a lot of chaos and at the same time, you know, there's a risk of something. Uh, you have Peter Benchley actually making a cameo as the news anchor, the author of the novel. Um, I hate the fake news that the mayor is putting out there. Injured some bathers? Are you crazy? Like, again, I feel like this just speaks to politics today of downplaying things or not accurately representing things. And, um, okay, this is one of my favorite elements of the 4th of July scene. We have... The false fin, the false alarm. As we see this fin and there's panic and all that, notice how there's no theme music. So as an audience, we can tell it's not the shark. The shark is not present. False alarm. That is fake news. (laughs) And not only that, but once the the real shark sort of starts to Mm -hmm. surface, I think this is probably the best looking part of the entire movie for Bruce and the shark because like when we see him sort of enter what what would you call it like the estuary the the, the pond um, quote unquote (laughs) yeah the 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 pond the pond we we just like it's so effective like he's the silent killer you know there is no music actually when you see his fin the dorsal to the tail it does it'll it will keep up though so keep in mind that it is there Uh, but yeah the the dorsal Mm -hmm. it's it looks so realistic yeah you you hear the theme music like right before you see the actual shark when when I think Brody realizes it when him and Ellen are saying like Michael mm-hmm. like Brody's son is down in the pond and then you know you get the music and then it just goes silent and it's just that effectiveness within the silence that you see the the fins and then they just mm-hmm. go under the water and then oh my goodness the scene with the boat <laughs> the the like the you guys okay over there yeah. Like, that guy, I don't know if he was the the Boy Scout like leader or whatever, but he was in the same. I think boat. he's just he's <laughs> just um, credited as estuary victim. <laughs> okay, well, this this guy actually looks like he's being full on attacked by a shark for some reason. Like that that above shot, yes. with him clinging onto the boat and Bruce like um, popping up. The, like the, every yeah. attack scene is like a couple seconds or not even that. They're just like split seconds, so you don't really get to see the shark too much, but. 
that ju- that looks like a real no, shark. No, exactly. Me. I, I agree. I love that we finally see the shark's face for the first time, but it's not full on. It's still kind of under the water. Right. And you can tell there's mm-hmm. a lot of power there and it looks so realistic and so scary. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. The severed leg. My goodness. Nightmares. Yeah. That scene is cut out from, I think, a lot of television airings. Yeah. For some reason, the leg gets me more than the severed head. I don't know why. Yeah. Because it looks real. Yeah. It look it looks completely real, and it's just a leg floating to the bottom of the water. It's like, geez, it like this is a thing that is absolutely terrifying. Like that could also, be me. Yeah. You know? And exactly. Yeah. Also, it is similar to the 1916 attack where I think there was like kids playing in, in an estuary, and a guy comes to help them, and then the guy helping them got attacked. So again, we're getting another similar parallel to the real life influence. <laughs> Yeah, so all this happens, and uh, and then it's it's go time. It's time to finally go into. Well, actually, before before we go into that, yeah, I mean, I think what really makes this powerful is that it sort of plays on what Brody was looking at earlier in the film, where he was sort of going through the pages, which I think also are some of my favorite shots of him just like flipping through the books and oh, you just yeah. see the reflection in his glasses. Yeah, like that. It's it's sort of a dusky. But, I mean, he sees, you know, what sharks are capable of, like how big they actually are. So we can finally start piecing together, like, what this thing looks like, you know, because we haven't really seen much of it yet. We just know that it's terrifying and it can kill people. But now we actually see pictures of sharks. We see even the uh, the tank inside of a shark mouth, which gives us a little bit of a uh, foreshadowing of something that might happen later. I don't know. Stay tuned. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I mean, we see just the the victims of shark attacks and what these sharks are capable of. So it's all coming together, and it's it's time to hunt. Absolutely, got to yeah. get Quint. And I love too how <laughs> like when all the other fisher are like, I love when they capture the tiger shark too, and Quint like rolls by in his boat. He's just laughing like, that's not the shark. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's yeah. he's your yeah. man. So they gotta they got. I love that that's who they commissioned too. It's not even like the coast guard or i don't know some government branch <laughs> yeah quint which no, is we're gonna a, get quint on this one <laughs> which is a nice compromise because it's an islander but he's a little bit of an out he's a weirdo islander so you're getting a native yeah. so it's someone yeah. you can trust yeah. but a little out there <laughs> yep so brody quint and our man mr hooper all decide to embark on the orca quint's boat which is honestly i thought it used to be a little bit more um uh maybe a little bit like nicer back when I was younger. This is a kind of not skippy boat, but it's not like, yeah, it's, it's not like a, a boat that I think you'd want to go hunt, uh, Mr. Bruce in. Also very cool. The boat's called the Orca and Orcas, otherwise known as killer whales are the only natural predators to sharks. Great, great name. Great pick on the name there. Whoever did that. Yep. Peter Benchley, Quint, like whoever it was, it's just, it's so epic, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the modern day Captain Ahab, like story mm-hmm. pretty much of this crazy captain and, um, a guy who's afraid of sharks and another guy who is pretty much an ocean expert who is a little, uh, I don't know, maybe full of himself at some points, Mr. Hooper, but yes, these three guys, all three different personalities all coming together. It's, it just sets up such a great, exciting little hunt i would say so yes all three of these guys finally go out and then 
when we're finally when we're finally on the boat, Brody is laying down the chum line. And yes, Emma, like you mentioned earlier, we get that amazing shot of just Brody tossing out to sea, and we finally get to see Bruce full on. Great timing to do the full face. Another great jump scare. Yeah. And then we get the uh, the iconic line, Emma. Not we're going to need a bigger boat, but you're going to need a bigger boat. One that was ad-libbed, not in the original script. I oh. love Roy Scheider so much. <laughs> I, yeah. He actually did a, a few improv things that I so approve of. And you know what? Like what's so funny too is uh, he looked into the role because he was at the same party as Spielberg and overheard the conversation of a shark jumping onto a boat. And he's like, I, I got to be part of that. <laughs> I want to <laughs> be in that movie. He he nails it. That's a great line to uh, – because he kind of says it earlier, too, that, like, we need a bigger boat, but it's so subtle. And then when he definitively is, says, you're going to need a bigger boat, it's like, oh, yeah. Yep. We're in trouble. It's real. And then we get to see a little bit more of the shark from here mm-hmm. on out. We see, like, sort of the the top of his body, you know, not never really, like, full on. Sometimes we see shots of him, like, thrashing around from the water. But um, we see that he actually is quite large. Quint estimating him at 25 feet and they try to start shooting him with these flotation barrels so that they can see where he's at and that he wouldn't go down into the depths Mm -hmm. of the water but i don't think they were expecting him to be quite this strong he's very strong (laughs) maybe quite yeah this this shark is just this is a uh, shark a force of nature any other shark in existence i can i think the biggest great white on record is about 20 feet uh something like that which is still actually massively large and terrifying. And I think, okay, also, if you really like Jaws and you're a huge Jaws fanatic, check out the Mythbusters Jaws special. Um, It's a little older, but it does a fantastic job of busting some myths. I think one of them being the barrels that I think at maybe that weight and length, the barrel would still probably stay afloat. I don't know, but definitely terrorizing in the movie at least (laughs) yeah but also like while all the barrel shooting slash just like it it feels like an adventure Mm -hmm. you know like the the mood almost shifts to like the the piratey theme that john williams Mm -hmm. has and like even brody he's like smiling while this is happening like it's exciting it's not scary at this moment at least because they're the ones that are sort of on the offense and so like these guys are having a good time they're kind of messing around joking maybe Quint and hooper having a little bit of a like quarrels here and there but it's all sort of like in good jest Mm -hmm. because they're gonna they're gonna kill the shark you know like they are the ones that are in charge and it's super upbeat and that is the vibe that we get right right off the bat and so yeah like just a great first i guess night i I always forget that it's really only like two days (laughs) that they're out sort of it's like the first day that night and then it's the next day. So the first day is going completely for them. And then that night, I think we also get some of the best moments of the entire film. We get to see a little bit more into the, uh, the characterization of Quint and he delivers one of the best monologues of all time. It is iconic. This whole, this whole nighttime scene, the drunken exchanges, the battle scar comparison. I am obsessed with Brody pulling up his shirt, like looking at his appendix scar. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like, oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it's a it's a great oh my gosh he, he I'm obsessed with Brody you guys um but yeah we get into one of the best ever mm-hmm. yeah the uh the classic USS Indianapolis monologue where Quint describes how what was it a thousand men went into the uh the water but only 300 some odd guys came mm-hmm. out and this would have been I think a very very interesting sequel Oh, it would have been a great prequel kind of thing. By Spielberg. Yeah. yeah, it would have been a really cool prequel if, um, oh, yeah, prequel with Quint. Oh, my God, that would have been so, so cool. But um, oh, so cool. That's what, they, that's, what the, that's what they should have done. And that was, I guess, one of the possibilities because this was just such a powerful scene where Quint was talking about, you know, like he just delivered such a, like a, this this entire monologue like he, he's just describing sharks in a way where he just completely takes away any sort of like empathy yeah. you could possibly have for them like he's like they have black eyes like a doll's eyes and they're just lifeless and just you know it really you you get to see like why he hates sharks so much and why he is the way and you he empathize is. with and, him. like if yeah. you had any empathy towards the shark i am i'm with quint he had a major mm-hmm. trauma and you just yes. see it. Um, what's crazy about this scene is that the original take, um, Robert Shaw really struggled with alcohol use, alcohol abuse on set. And it actually caused a lot of problems and rips, especially with Richard Dreyfus. And what's interesting is the first take of this, it was so incoherent. They just couldn't even use it. And then Robert Shaw then asked Spielberg, he's like, can I try it again? I want another shot at this. And that was this one. It was perfect when he was not drinking and Mm -hmm. it's brilliant. I think this is to me a nomination worthy monologue in and of itself. It's quite incredible. And yeah, and the USS Indianapolis is actually a true event it's a little different (laughs) than how it's described but it is an actual thing that happened how scary would that be you know just so secretive in i guess the mission that no one knows you're out there and you're just being i guess hunted by a bunch of sharks and yeah that would make me want to i guess take up a personal vendetta against sharks for the rest of my life but yeah i mean we get some great moments with uh them singing after this show me the way (laughs) go home is just it's, it's it's a very like unifying moment i think for the three of them they're just like yeah we how we did i miss this. that in our song yeah. talk last week this is one of those things where if you start yeah. singing this everyone will like bump bump at the same time everyone yeah, joins everyone in. knows this yeah. one but yeah i mean i think we also get some excellent moments with the shark here just how scary is it that you just see that 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 beep yeah beep in in the just blackness of night that that you have to watch this at night (laughs) and you know the the boat i guess now becoming the shark's prey and how he disables the power and rams the hull and you know these guys are forced to go outside and i think we also get some of my favorite little moments that happened uh i guess by chance with the uh the shooting stars that were not special effects. <laughs> I think I, I always, always look for them when so they happen. Many debates. And I think it should, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I I think they're real. I'm I'm saying they're real. I think that there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. Um but there's two. They always say they like people only concentrate on the one. I think maybe they talk about both, but I always hear them talk about the one that shoots past uh Brody's mm-hmm. head. 
but there's also the second one that happens when you get a little bit of that long shot of the orca. <sighs> so cool. That. But yeah, so the men work through the night, repair the engine, and in the morning, Brody attempts to call the Coast Guard, but Quint, who is just a, absolutely obsessed with killing the shark at this moment, decides to smash the radio. I would kill so, Quint. I, I yeah. would like, be like, are you out yeah. of your damn mind? But he's yeah. just in so deep, and this hatred runs so much through his veins that he wants to do this mm. himself. Hooper Quint, they both say that uh, to, to Brody, really, that they've never seen any shark do anything like this. And they kind of get fed up with it by the end of it. They're like, no, like, no, I haven't seen any, any shark like this. And so um, they really, I think everyone realizes that this is a little bit more of an undertaking than they expect. And the shark is slowly leading them out into the ocean, farther away from land, and eventually starts pulling them and ends up flooding their deck flooding the engine compartment and the the boat is slowly starting to sort of um go by the wayside so in that mix with the radio going down and (laughs) just the overall i guess feeling yeah i I could not um, i could not imagine what it would be like to be on that boat with that shark following me and I couldn't either. Not being well, that's what like not. I again, I don't know what I would do with this situation. There's a lot of parts in this movie where I don't know what I would do. Um, a part of me feels like like if you have the gun, maybe maybe you just start shooting like crazy at the thing. Try to try. They try. I don't know. I try to aim for the. It's hard. There's really no answer, and that's what Mm -hmm. as an audience sucks you in because it's a very relatable feeling. Yeah, and Quint is just so stubborn and he really i think sets the bed or like sets the table for himself as far mm-hmm. as just like what ends up happening to him because he he's just, his like, own he undoing doesn't listen to hooper yeah he pushes the engine past you know the safety limits and they're done like it's it's not going anywhere and now the guys have to make a choice like they they basically have to make a final stand and i think it's a simple scene, but you know when Quinn just tosses the life jackets to Hooper and Brody, mm-hmm. it's sort of just like, wow, like this is this is it, yeah. you know? Um, oh, and, it's like Titanic. It's kind of like they think it's all a party, yeah. it's all in good fun, and then when you put the life jacket on, it's it makes it so much more real. <laughs> yeah, and I think Quinn just finally asking Hooper, like, what can you do with Ooh. these things of yours? It's like when the cap it's, when it's the captain just, doesn't know what to do and they're yeah. resorting to their little antithesis enemies <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, pers- uh, help. Yeah. And so the shark cage from the beginning of the uh, the film finally comes back into uh, the scene. <laughs> I love the scene of them and putting I, it I, together, too. It's oh, it's so men. epic. So epic. Yeah. And the music, I think, is just so it like inspiring i think at this moment too it's it's just like it's a different feel than sort of what we uh have experienced i guess previously with like john williams's like piratey swashbuckling (laughs) themes even the shark this is just like a determined like (laughs) like i don't know it's uh it, it really gets you geared up for i guess this like this final climax and so hooper's essentially trying to 
spear the shark with a, a lethal hypodermic injection. But once he goes in, I think we get some of, I mean, of course, these are the best shots. Incredible. This is some of, this is like when I think the reality sets in, when they use the actual footage of real great mm-hmm. whites interspersed with like the, I guess, mechanical shark. This is all kinds of fantastic. It, it really is great editing. Again, I'm going to credit our lady, Vern Fields. Thanks for mm-hmm. being amazing. Yeah. No, I, I love the, I love, <sighs> I love it all, guys. I really do. Now, you know what's crazy about that cage too? Just as a quick note. I mean, it doesn't like seem that shark proof to me, especially considering this shark. I, I know yeah. it's the last, last, last resort, but the holes are still like a little big in my opinion. And I, I it, it's so scary. And I mean, Hooper as evidenced by our earlier Ben Gardner boat scene isn't necessarily at his best agility underwater. <laughs> it's like really scary. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, everything is sort of coming together, but these guys are desperate. And yeah, this like, it's, I think there's just a lot going on. I love like Hooper's final moments, even like before he goes into the cage where he's talking to like Brody and Quinn mm-hmm. and I, I'd really do kind of like that final sort of glance that Quint gives mm-hmm. Hooper, like, like kind of like good luck, but he would never say something mm-hmm. like that. But I think he, I think he ended up like a lot of him. amends and, made in know, that look. Yeah, and so I thought that was a kind of nice little like final moment between them. But, but yeah, once the shark starts attacking the cage, that too also silent. You know, like we're just waiting, and then out of nowhere, boom, comes up from behind Hooper. And we just see, you know, between his little, his eyes in the, <laughs> um, in the mask and the shark just ramming, ramming the cage. And we, I think it's, it's done for, for Hooper, yeah. honestly. And I go, I go back and forth with myself, like what I have preferred the original book ending where Hooper actually dies or am I happy with like Hooper escaping from the top and then like swimming to safety, like I'm going to, I'm going to say, I agree with the movie's decision. I think it was the right call. It does feel a little unrealistic just given how lethal the shark is. I feel like he could have hunted him and taken him down. But, uh, I think the shark was truly after Brody kind of, and, um, yeah, no, I think I like that they kept, or I like that they changed it because I think the end shot, I just appreciate that. Yeah. I don't know, human connectedness between Brody and Hooper at the end. Yeah, that, that final scene is uh, is amazing. We'll get to it in a minute, guys. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so th- that scene is really interesting because they had to film, I think, real sharks with a, a smaller version of the same cage. Like they scaled it down to, and I think they put like a little person mm-hmm in the gear oh, to make it seem like the shark the shark was bigger yeah that was just a little like uh production note but yeah the shark actually got stuck <laughs> in the cage and yeah i mean mixed emotions about that not obviously happy but um it did give that realistic like thrashing look like that is a real shark actually stuck in the cage and um yeah quite a quite the scene it, it just again like adds to the reality of it like you, you can't really get like a cgi i think that would 
be as realistic mm-hmm. as that, at least yeah. personally. No, to I me. agree. I, I agree. Know. But oh my gosh, just once they take the cage up and Quentin Hooper or Quint and uh, Brody sort of look at each other like Hooper's gone and the shark just jumps on top of the boat. (laughs) Oh my God. Everyone is just scarred for life as they see Quint just basically trapped. Meet his demise. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some people say it's like a funny scene because the way the shark looks in like the memes that have come out of it but it's it's honestly it's like it's it sad. is so like, sad me, i sad. hate this part it's so emotional and for my stranger things fans out there um when okay this is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen stranger things skip like 10 to 20 seconds um when bob is attacked by the demodogs they model it after the scene because it is so emotional you're you're so connected to this guy and to watch him be so close yet taken down it's it's very sad and you know what though I was watching this and there is a little like I don't want to say frustration but I'm kind of I I feel like he could have fought harder maybe but I know it's slippery I know there's a lot of water I know and I know it's a big shark so it's it's a tough one yeah it's it's um, it's oddly kind of like poetic justice for the shark because of like how many sharks Quint has killed. That's true. Like we've we've witnessed we've witnessed you know all of uh, Quint's I guess trophies from his prior excursions. You know he's like boiling his house. The, the other jaws literally is made of jaws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so for him to I guess ulti- ultimately meet his end in the things that he was just so used to having around him and I guess prizing like it's it's oddly like fitting I think. So I'm not saying like. Quint deserved it, but <laughs> I think Bruce got some revenge, oddly, for on behalf of all of his it's, it's a, <laughs> shark brother. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird revenge cycle because of the sharks yeah. in the USS Indianapolis and Quint with the sharks and sharks with Quint. <laughs> just, it's a, yeah, yeah. A mess. it's it's just whole circle of yeah, just uh, emotions, <laughs> and it's all up to Brody at this point. And I could not imagine wow. a scarier feeling than you basically sinking along with the ship and this unstoppable force is coming at you and lo and behold throws a scuba tank inside the shark's mouth and this one last ditch effort climbing up the crow's nest he's got the uh the old rifle in hand and he starts shooting he starts shooting he misses his first (sighs) shot blow up (laughs) misses the second shot and then you just have this crescendo of music and just all these feelings and smile. You sort of, a, oh my God, I, I, every single time, like it's perfect. It's per- and, and you can feel that in the moment. If you've ever done something like an archery or a knife throwing or even a, I don't know, like basketball or something. And you know, when you have a good shot and you could just feel it in all of your body that this is it. I I feel that when I'm watching Brody. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so fantastic. Watching that shark explode. It's just so it's the biggest sense of relief I feel like you can feel. Mm. And yeah. And then the seagulls, and you know that they're kind of near shore. Um, it's such a nice little relief. And then Hooper pops up. 
he was hiding, hiding amongst the water brush <laughs> in, the, in the in the rocks. And Brody is so happy that he he made it. And I love that this just this human connection that the guys have swimming back to shore. It's probably the first sense of relaxation they've had all summer. It definitely throughout the entire course of the series of events. And I feel like I would take a long, long deserved vacation after that. If I was Mr. Chief Brody, I, I just love the final lines of the film mm-hmm. where Brody goes, I used to hate the water and Hooper goes, I can't imagine why. <laughs> and, uh, it's just such a, such a great ending. And like, even the, the going out mm-hmm. music, like the outro is just sort of like, it's relaxed now. Like it actually feels like Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Like, the balance has been like balance has been restored. Definitely. Cause like that, that's ultimately what like it was at the end of the day. Like the shark was just an evil presence and the force was <laughs> making Star Wars references now. <laughs> like the, the force, uh, there was a disturbance <laughs> and now, now things are back to normal. And yeah, like I couldn't imagine how good that must have felt and just how satisfying, like even as a, a viewer, like it's so satisfying. It really and is. I've alluded to earlier, like there are just so many stories of the people in these these movie theaters that would just like just stand up, like everyone would cheer and it was just this, this glorious moment for everyone. And I think that's ultimately what like made this such a strong film and a blockbuster and such a cultural event was that like it just unified everybody like if you didn't see jaws like what were you doing you had to go see jaws. and so great ending so much better than the book the book the the shark just ends up succumbing to his wounds and dies like right before he gets this to Brody. Much cooler. and spielberg, spielberg was like yeah we're not doing that so, <laughs> so yeah very happy with the way it played out but god one of the one of the best one of the best it of all really time. truly is this like even watching it talking about it gosh this movie makes me love movies it just makes me feel where where this passion comes from it's again like we said so well done everything like from the poster to the music to the thrills and the dialogue the acting everything about it really is just iconic and yeah i can't think of another film really for me that Stands out like this one does. Yeah, one so. of my favorite 70s movies ever. Yeah, just major applause to everyone involved because they they made this possible. So it's really good. I guess some like side notes uh, or aside, some post, post-chat little cliff notes. Um, I am devastated that they took the ride down at Universal Studios. Uh, yeah, that's a sad. I'm, <laughs> if, if someone out there is connected to... Universal Studios at all, please consider rebooting it and putting it up somewhere because that was honestly one of the coolest rides to live this experience. I just, I loved it. And I know that there's a new generation of kids out there who who like more current stuff, but at the same time, I just, this is a very legendary movie and it really did change the film industry and I'd love another homage to it. Um, another little fun, not, this is actually not fun at all. This is actually quite sad before we started recording, Jack and I were talking and the woman that plays Mrs. Kittner, Alex Kittner's mom, Lee Fierro, I was telling Jack, I'm like, she actually died a couple years ago and I pulled it up and she died this year, April 5th, 2020. 
it already feels like two years ago, which is bizarre to me. But uh, Lee Fierro, the woman who played Mrs. Kittner, died of COVID at ni- at 91. Oh, so the irony is not lost on me about all of these real life events happening and threats to people and debates about how to keep the public safe while watching this. It's very, very crazy and full circle. I think there's a lot of parallels that you can, I guess, make to today's society and what's going on. But I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's a great movie. And I think that there, there are a few other summer flicks that I, I make a point to watch every single year. And this is always one without a shadow of doubt. So get lost in, in the world of Amity and, and enjoy the ride because it really is one I think that you will really enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah, let us know. Watch it. Let us know what you think. What's your favorite part? What part made you scared out of your wits? I want to know. <laughs> yeah, we both do. I mean, it is just such a... It's a beautiful movie, and we thank you guys again for all the love, all the support. We've been gaining a lot of uh, followers and listeners lately, so we don't take that for granted either. Thank you guys from all across the globe. And uh, yeah, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, Old Soul Movie Pod, Old Soul Movie Podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating, five stars, please, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, don't forget to leave a review if you're so inclined. We'd really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, Emma, do you have anything else to add on? No, uh, just stay safe out there, especially if you're going swimming. <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water. But, uh, but yeah, guys, thanks again for, uh, for joining us. This has been a pleasure and I'm so happy that we ended up doing this. Uh, until next time, we'll see you guys all very soon. Take care. <laughs>